Season edition of the Grizzden podcast. Brantley's in the house. Man, I feel like it's been a while since I've been in front of the mic. I'm glad to be with you, boys. It's been a while. Ty, hello. I didn't do a mic check. I'm assuming I'm good. You're great. All right. You never, You're need, you never need a mic coming check. Through. Come on, baby. Um, guys, I'm excited to get into uh, not first gear, not second gear, but third gear in this podcast. We have a lot of content ahead. Obviously, the season starts. In a mere 12 days. Opening night is 13 days from now for the Grizzlies. Uh, we still have to do our over-unders. We still have to do our NBA futures. And we have our official predictions. Can we do are, a teaser? That are all going to happen next week. So uh, get ready. I know that uh, you know football's on. But NBA's coming. And it's about time to turn the page to basketball. And right. it's going to be exciting in Memphis, uh, we have an interesting start to the season with a couple new pieces, with our best player um, sitting out the first 25 games, but traveling. Wait, no, what? Jaren's playing, bro. There he is. Is Desmond or Jaren number two right now? I'm kidding. Dude, Embrace the- debate. All yeah. right. Um, all right. Here's the plan. We're going to talk through media days, which happened, uh, I think, a couple Mondays ago. We're going to talk through preseason. We've now had three games in the books. Weird preseason schedule. We've, we're done with home games, if you're um, keeping track at home. Done with home games for the preseason. And then we have, like, the week before, there's a Sunday, and I think it's like a Friday or Saturday. It's just an interesting schedule there. But we're going to talk through preseason, and then we're going to get into some of the, uh, the fun um, content that some of our uh, favorite national, uh, you know, all the different uh, podcasts, all the different publications are releasing their rankings, and um, we have some reactions to that. And so, Craft's uh, not here, but he did send in some thoughts, and so if we remember, we'll also mention those as well. Um, but we got a lot coming your way. It's going to be an exciting season. Let's start with Media Days. That was... Um, the first time we got to hear from um, Derek Rose, which to me I think is a fair place to start. Uh, he was uh, introduced at Media Day. They do, if you're not familiar with kind of what everything looks like Media Day, they're recording all of their preseason videos, so they're all in full uniform. Um, you know, they're filing in and out of the uh, of the press room, and then they release all of these interviews throughout the day uh, on YouTube. So you can actually go back and watch these if you haven't seen them. There are a couple. It's really funny to see, like, the length of time that each of these videos last. I don't know if y'all went through the YouTube at all. John Conchar is, like, two and a half minutes. It's hilarious. They're just, like, grasping. Did you watch all two and a half minutes? I did. But (laughs) uh, the most interesting question was that was posed to him was whether he had gotten any more tattoos uh, this offseason, to which he said no. And that was about the extent of the answer. I was Um, curious, too. Yeah, but you look at Derrick Rose's video, it's like 18 minutes long. Yeah. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was an unbelievable introduction to him in Memphis. Obviously, I've had my own takes about the signing, which we'll get into. But I thought him as just an interview was really, really cool to see how far he's come. He's 35 years old. 
and has uh, had a lot of challenges throughout his career and has had, I think, a lot to relate to our young superstar. Ty, I know you watched the interview, too. What do you think about it? That's the first note I made when you sent our little, like, outline of, like, takeaways from Media Days. I thought his interview was perfect. Um, I think if you were going into it, a lot of people were, you know, half the, I feel like, fan base was kind of dubious of being like, this is the best we could get with that roster spot. Um, a lot of like count me in yeah a lot of the more like heady you know Grizz fans and I feel like the more emotional Grizz fans were like this is awesome I love this I love that he's back there's already a mural in Memphis of of him which I think is also awesome Um, in a Grizz uniform it's like split between Chicago and Memphis it's really cool Um, I love how like New York didn't get it's just just Chicago and (laughs) Memphis um I think it was great. I think what he said was... Where's the mural? I don't remember where it is. Okay. Um, do you know, Will? I'll look it up as you're talking. Okay. Um, yeah, I just think what he said was great. I think basically he was extremely honest. He seemed very approachable. Um, I know that's one thing, you know, in his past, he basically said that he, like, hated interviews before because he was a very, like, private person. And over, you know, these past few years, he's matured and he feels more comfortable in his skin. And he's, you know, very willing and open to talk about basically everything on his mind. Um, I think he's going to be great for the team. I think he's going to be great for the locker room. I love him with jaw. I love how he approached the jaw thing where he was like, I'm not here to babysit. Obviously, that was like the big buzzy, you know, quote that was taken from media days. Is He was, I think they referenced him and Marcus Smart. And he was like, we're not here to babysit. Um, We're here to challenge, and I'm here to help this team win, whatever that looks like, which I thought was awesome. He's like, I'm not coming in to take jobs. I'm not coming in to require a certain amount of minutes. I'm literally here to help this team win in any way that I can, and I think he sees his value off the court in the locker room as helping a team win, and I think he's right. For sure. I got the same thing where, I mean, obviously, yeah, you're right. That was the quote that was taken away, and by the way, that – the the mural all I could find is it's in the Edge District somewhere. So, you know, you can explore. Edge around. Alley, change your coffee mugs. <laughs> They're tin. They're made of tin and metal and they like hurt. They, they burn they your hurt, mouth. They hurt your hands. It's you outrageous. Out of it. yeah. yeah. Ceramic is there for a reason. I can get behind that initiative. But that is where the mural is. So if you're gonna go bring your own mug. Brantley, what'd you think about the interview? Uh my my whole like thesis basically on the media days thing going in and just takeaways in general was that I it's refreshing that there's really not much news. I think that that was strategy. Um, so I'm not responding to the Der- Derek Rose thing in particular because that was obviously nice and feel goody and blah blah blah. But for a team that was like in the news for the wrong reasons, for you know, caught the better part of last year. Um, and for there not to for us to be kind of under the radar, I think for players to really be responding to certain things, I think that they were very they were coached. The players bought into the strategy of the types of things that they were going to say, and it really just feels like back to like we're going way into the back to business mindset, yep, and really meaning it. And and I think that that is manifesting itself in our roster strategy too by certain players that aren't on the roster anymore. And I'm I'm glad that there was no news. 
and and I think that I I really hope that that's the beginning, like uh, call it you know the stepping stones, if you will, for how this season will be viewed uh, or approached by the entire team. I the very first note I took down on this point was the word maturity. Like that's what I felt across the board. I saw a Desmond Bain that was ready to lead. Um, I saw a Jaron that was just, you could tell, I mean, we can talk about the USA experience, but I think that was huge for him. He had the quote that vacation sucked. Like he was just ready to get back to it. I love that so much. Ready to get back to work. And he's the one who had the least amount of vacation. Like he said he went away for like a week or two and that was it. And you also had a, a Kleiman who I feel like we we had the most amount of quotes we ever had from him at the end of this past season, like the most information I feel like we've ever gotten and the most honesty. And really, you watch his interviews, the most boring one out of all. I mean, basically, he's giving us injury updates. And even that, he they were kind of cagey at best. And then he wasn't really responding to much that was asked, um, kind of keeping it all in-house again. And I felt as if, um, n- yeah, you're right. I mean... There was a, a noticeable lack of drama, and that was refreshing in a lot of ways. And then the other note I had written down, I think the most interesting change from last season to this season in terms of the interviews was Taylor Jenkins. I feel like he has a brand-new perspective and has found some things in the way that the team was preparing that he is excited to change, and I think that there are notably two additional members on the coaching staff one of them is going to be the offensive coordinator, is what I've been hearing. Uh, just kind of trying to revamp a little bit of wh- what it looks like on offense since our half-court offense has been the struggle in the playoffs. And then you have Anthony Carter, who was hired to develop young talent. And we had the quote about tripling down on youth, which has been like exhausted at this point, but it's true. We have a lot of youth. And I feel like that's the perfect guy to – those two um, areas, I feel like, are the two that we struggled the most. I mean, you look, our defense is elite. We added Marcus Smart, who I think is going to just be amazing on that end, but it's the offense that was struggling. And so he, you know, I also love that there's been an emphasis on practice now, like the, the way that they're practicing is different. Um, that was another quote. Intentionality. And yeah. He had the, the non-negotiables phrase, yep. which really stuck out to me. It's kind of like. Bain said that this was the most intense, that first practice was the most intense practice that he can remember. For sure. As being a grizzly. Yeah. And I'm all for that. And it's like you have new personalities, but I do think you have a Jenkins who is ready to focus. I mean, he obviously focuses on the small stuff, but I think that he probably, as a young coach, was erring on the side of leaving it open, you know, like letting the young team be who they are. And now I think he's sort of scaling some of that back and providing more structure and, organi- you know, yeah, organization. I'm just like, I'm excited about that. And I think he has the right guys in the locker room to reinforce that message. So Jenkins was like my biggest encouragement from media day besides, you know, the obvious maturity. I love that about Jenkins. Cause he's, you know, he's definitely not above reproach when it comes to cr- criticism of playoff success and stuff like that. Like for sure. One thing that we've noticed, well, I remember you mentioned this last year after we lost in the playoffs is if you look at the shots that we were getting as far as like, jump shot three-point shooting like closest defender you know within a certain radius like pretty much all the shots were we were creating as an offense were considered 
quote unquote open. Um, we just weren't making them. So that is a place that I was always like coming back to like, is the offense Jenkins's fault? Like, does he play like maybe more of a role? But then that data would tell you like, maybe he doesn't, maybe he's actually drawing up good stuff. We just don't have the players to execute. But in you, you know, you even heard early on, it's just like, you know, let it fly was his like mantra as soon as he stepped in the gym. Um, and now you can almost see him being like, well, yeah, maybe not like all the time. I don't know. You just kind of can see him being like the things he maybe put in place. He's not retracted from, but he's like taken a step back and thought to himself like, okay, we really need to improve. I love that he's brought in the, you know, Patrick St. Andrews from Milwaukee, um, to basically kind of revamp things. And it's basically almost like giving him control of the offense. And Gene Kids is like, you got it. Like, I'm here. I'm obviously advising. I'm maybe have the last say so, per se. But he's kind of handed that off. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and I was listening to the Daily Memphian podcast, and they were talking about how, like, you're already seeing certain influences and one of the ways is like how we're potentially using Jaron like in the preseason like him getting the ball going downhill him getting the ball at the top of the key I remember when we played Milwaukee again it's preseason doesn't really matter but they had Bobby Portis on him and Jaron was just like literally living in like at the rim just like going by him left right doing whatever he wants dribble moves all that kind of stuff and you're almost like seeing like oh like other players almost like he's given um responsibility to an extent to like other players outside of jaw and he's gonna have to obviously to start the season but now you're seeing those players primarily bain and jaron like not only take initiative but like hey i can handle the i can handle the offense like you give me that role like i can do that um and i think that's really cool that like you know ball movement is apparently coming out of training camp something that's been really emphasized is like let's get let the ball move let's let everyone touch it stuff like that because, you know, Jaws notorious, notoriously had a huge usage um, in his first couple of years. And honestly, like, I can't blame him for that either. Like, Jaws phenomenal with the ball. The dude creates open shots constantly. But I do think – and Jaws also been like a willing cutter, willing off ball. He's not like a Trey Young type. Like, he's willing to move, backdoor cut, stuff like that. But you're just seeing, like, little things where Jenkins has probably looked in the mirror and be like, you know what, maybe, like, we need revamping. Maybe we need change. And I think it's awesome that he's like still under the age of 40. This is what his fourth season as a head coach. And he's already looking into that. And if you look at like his predecessor, like what was coach buds like downfall, everyone kept saying like, he will never change. He will never make adjustments in the playoffs. He's always going to play his system and that's it. And you're already seeing Jenkins like tinkering with things with a playoff mindset too which I think is awesome, too. I just spoke for a really long time. Sorry. No, you're exactly right. I mean, I noticed in the very first preseason game on Sunday, it was Jaron's uh, playmaking from the perimeter, where he's being put in a position now where he's not just back to the basket. Even Steven Adams was sitting in the corner, like sprinting down the court, goes to the corner. I'm like, that's different. You know, when have we ever seen that, uh, where the, the middle is just completely open and you have a guy – who's seven feet tall that can actually make a move. Like he's of course not going to be the greatest ball handler in the world, but he's good enough to where he's matched up against somebody who's not going to be able to hang with him. And so I think they're, they're looking to exploit maybe some different things and also 
leverage some of the skills that we have on the perimeter that might have been not been tapped into. And, you know, you look at Darko, I'm interested to see kind of how Darko, uh, you know, sets up the offense in Toronto because um, you have some similar type players. But uh, Darko was the one who kind of handled the offense before St. Andrews. And so we'll see. I mean, it's, I think it's going to change majorly. And I think you're also going to see Desmond Bain have to step into that role because, yes, we do have a point guard who's going to start Marcus Smart. We have a backup point guard who's Derrick Rose, but those two players brand new. So are you going to see a lot of Desmond Bain handling the ball, and how does that look like initiating everything? Randley, what have you seen so far, like from the preseason or overall, what have been your yeah, takeaways? Yeah, I was at the Bucks game, and I sort of just – there's a couple of things that I was just watching even like before the game, like what was sort of like – our huddle environment like even like before I know this is like silly stuff but it's like who's sort of like in the center doing silly stuff like that was kind of like Dylan last year which God bless America aren't we all glad that he's not in that he got ejected anymore. five minutes into his first yo can we talk about that's so let's make this <laughs> that's what we should have led with yeah we should have led Wild. with that it's amazing uh you know and trip and trip was um kind of like leading the charge there in a decent amount and it, it felt like like I was watching uh, Rose and Smart a lot, um, and even like BC. BC kind of felt a little removed versus you know Rose was dressed, Smart wasn't. Smart felt like very intertwined with the team um, already, just from what I could tell from that perspective. You know, I, th- I definitely noticed the Jaron thing too in terms of like how it was almost like we would get out of rhythm in that game with going to him too much from the top of the key. Mm. The Bucks, I thought, defended him well, though. Um, uh, you know, he probably got three to four of his shots, I think, blocked going to the rim because yep. of Lopez um, as well. I mean, and those the Bucks are probably one of the few teams that actually have – um, you know, the height to be able to really defend Jaron well like that. I, I, my thing on that, that, you know, we don't really want to talk about it because we don't want to enable it to happen, but it's almost like, okay, now maybe because he's gotten this reputation where he's one defensive player of the year, maybe he'll get more of the benefit of the doubt to where we can start giving him the ball on the offensive side where we don't have to worry about him picking up fouls. I think that that was one of the things where I was just was wondering where the coaching staff maybe felt like they could risk it a little bit more on the offensive side with him. Um, and then the the ball movement was very apparent in person. I felt like multiple times we were getting looks with like some Bain and Kennard action um, mm-hmm. where Kennard almost was looking a little hesitant was and, and he was his shot was off it was kind of just classic preseason mode but I was like okay those are shots that I feel like are going to go in and the third thing that I noticed being in person is that I just felt like the 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 green light the 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 person I felt like it had the most confident green light out of all, everybody there was Zaire let's go and and it was very Good I'm not segue and and I just felt like there just was something different just out of the jump. Like Love he it. was so hesitant last year. He felt like a little like, you know, deer in the headlights at times. And in the preseason game, it was not that way. He was getting to his spot. See, his rookie season, he was so good at getting to the elbow and hitting that mid season that that mid range jumper. John Hollinger actually talked about this and his like top ten players that are Im- going to impact the NBA that you haven't heard of. Um, article. He mentioned Z. I haven't and read Z that. And Z was yet. like sixth on the list. Oh wow! 
and he had some stat where I think it was something like he some per- field goal percentage that he shoots um, around that range is like sort of elite, or at least it was his rookie campaign that was really elite. And that was a very noticeable part of his game to me, rookie season and in the preseason game. He had a couple of threes that he just pulled. And I don't know. It's just It was just one game. But it made me kind of be like, okay, is this possible? Because we know how well he fits with Ja. He, he fills that BC lob threat thing that we need with Jaw. Especially ja. on the break. He can on run with Jaw really well. And um, so it just was like, I'm not I'm not willing to say, yeah, I know this is going to be a thing yet. But it was enough of it was enough of a confidence boost in watching him from a rhythm perspective that it just felt like it could be something. On the other hand, and I'll end with this, because this is also my monologue of my ramblings or observations from the game. Guys, I don't think David Roddy has it. Oh no! Totally disagree. He can't on the offensive side. Totally disagree. He does not have it. <laughs> totally. Disagree. The way he plays on the offensive side of the ball, he he has got to back down. He might be fine on the defensive end, but the way he plays offensively is not going to work. The way he plays Bold offensively statement. is that what you said? Yes. Okay. I think he plays in rhythm. Like if anything, I I kind of like impressed. him too. Yeah. I, he's a bull. He's a bulldog. In the wrong ways, in the way that he drives, the, the way that he plays in the hoop, and he's it, it, it's giving me like Dylan-ish vibes oh, on the way that he on. goes in. No, 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 not in personality types. I'm talking in like the no, way I don't he even finishes mean in, in terms of his play. I, I don't know if anything, Roddy to me, and we, I mean, he didn't to me show he didn't have enough minutes to like solidify an opinion in my head. If it, I thought he looked more confident. For sure, well, and it's he almost definitely like he looks confident. He has confidence, and it, yeah. and honestly, I don't think it's merited. Okay, well, we might have to disagree <laughs> then, and and keep tabs on this because I felt like his energy was really impacting the game, especially. I, so I went to Sunday's game, you went to Tuesday's game, and so we're looking at it maybe from different uh, perspectives there. But in person, I was like, man, like not only has he probably lost a little bit of weight. But also, he's running, he can be so versatile because you can play him at the three or four if you really are in a pinch. But, man, he's looking like a guard out there. He has to get better shooting, like, obviously. Like, I think that's a huge part of his game with jaw um, spotting up. But, man, I was like, as far as a playmate, like, there's just not a lot of guys that I feel like have that gene where you're just, like, ready to playmate when you have to. The, the shot clock is under six and you have the ball. Like, who do I trust? Like, Roddy is one of those guys that I feel like can actually get a competent shot up. Um, and I think it's going to be – I think – here's what I'll say. Um, a lot of guys, I feel like, have been given the um, empowerment by Jenkins to go out and be aggressive. And so I think you're seeing that manifest in different ways. You're seeing LaRavia come off the bench where he barely played in the first game until the – you know, garbage time, but then all of a sudden, the second game, he's coming out and he's like, he has like trying to lead the team in shots or something. That's kind um, of I'm worried about. It same, but then but. Roddy to me, it's 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 more of like uh, it's more fluid, and we might disagree in what we saw, but I saw a guy who's like being aggressive because not a lot of big time players were playing, picking his spots, but like I don't know, I just feel like he can feel the game a little bit better. And has a little bit more IQ in that area. This is what I I I would agree with you on the IQ part and maybe EQ part. 
of the game flow. He brings energy. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I think that he's picking his spots, and he's he's gonna maybe the way he's picking his spots are still wrong. Like I just don't think that he has the finishing ability to really help us in the way he needs to be able to pick his spots yet. And he's not executing. And it's concerning me. Like I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with the spots he's picking because I think they're there, and I think there's a reason why they're there on the way the defense is guarding him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he can execute on him. Are you Love his energy. talking mainly offensively? Yes. Okay. Because I think he brings I don't have much of a concern. Two-way. Oh, I, I love the two-way that. two-way ability yeah. is really going to benefit the Grizzlies in the long run. Like, if you were to have to choose Roddy or LaRavia right now, who Oh, that's not choose? a question. You'd choose Roddy? Yeah. Okay, cool. So, in the pecking order, you still Previously, have... I would have said LaRavia just because I kind of was, like, hoping in white boy three-point shooter. But then we got Canard, so that was fun. Yeah, they kind of duplicate. Roddy and, Specs. Roddy and Zaire, what do you feel right now between those two? That's the question. I me. think that I would choose... Uh, man, for this makeup of this team, I, th- if, I think we would better be served having a... Long wing on defense. So I'd take Zaire. I have a take that's going to probably surprise y'all. I think Zaire should start opening night. Wow, you went from trading him two weeks ago to now he's our starting small forward. Well, let me... We can change our mind. We can can pivot here. No, no, no. This has actually nothing... You'll see where I'm coming from. still think we should trade. Here's where I'm coming from. Okay? (laughs) Marcus Smart starting at the one... And versus John ja Morant starting at the one are two different offenses. I think with Ja starting at the one, you need shooting, obviously. We saw that in the playoffs now a couple years in a row. Kennard is the obvious guy to start next to Ja, in my opinion, which you might not even have that because Smart's probably going to be playing the three, which is fine. Like, that's probably our best five once Ja comes back. But in the absence of Smart, Kennard and Ja make sense together as a pairing. When you have a little bit more three-point shooting and with Smart, I actually think Zaire makes more sense in that spot. It's because you need a guy that can do a little bit more, um, and Zaire has that potential, and the keyword's potential. I think that also, be and, and the reason why is because Luke has a certain gravity. Like, you're going to, if you know Luke Kennard's in the game, the other coach is going to say you have to stick on this guy, and it opens up the paint. But if Smart's your point guard, you're not just going to let him shoot. You're not going to go under every screen because Smart has shown that he's, I mean, he takes eight threes a game per 100 possessions and Ja only takes five. So like, even in that, like, even if they shoot a similar percentage, like you're, you're going to have to guard Smart a little bit more. Um, so I think you don't have as much of a need as just like for a pure three point shooter, you need more of a playmaker. And also, honestly, like I am still down on Zaire. I love the confidence. Like, Trust me, I would rather him work out than him not work out. So if I'm wrong, that's a great thing. But I want to see it earlier rather than later. So, like, why not go ahead and throw him into the fire? Like, let's see it opening 25 games, see what he has because we need his contribution. For me, if I'm wrong and he's great, all of a sudden you have another nine, ten million dollar contract there that you can throw is. into a trade. Okay. Is. In worst case scenario, I think that Roddy is a guy who's waiting in the wings, potentially. I mean, he's like six five and Zaire's six nine, so there's a big difference there. And you'd rather Zaire work out. But I also think we're going like 
this is another conversation, probably another topic for another day, but like where somebody got drafted plays way too much of a part in, in where teams try to fill in and like uh, give a sense of order to and rank. And I just like, I don't think that's true for us though. Like, I don't know. Zaire did not play towards the end of last year. He came back from but his they're, injury. They're saying he's hurt. Like, yeah, he's but got I mean, he still didn't play. Like, he came back from his injury. He was bad. He didn't play. Yeah, that's fine. But Roddy played. But over his Laravia. rookie season, he also he was in his his best form oh, he of himself started. was when he started. Yeah, that's true. So, he like, I think it's a, a great yeah. point of like maybe give him a shot at, on the starting role because maybe there's just some players that just need to get going from the jump. Yeah, and that's fine. And like he's okay, he's he's performed pretty well. Like tonight he made a bunch of shots against the Hawks. He was 4 for 7 from 3. He only played like a few minutes. Yeah, and like 16, against Milwaukee, he's minutes, but. none of their best three played. Like I'm sure. just saying like we're looking like preseason is kind of dangerous sometimes because you get like to me I like to I like to take the habits away from preseason. I'm like, okay, what has changed thematically about this team? Versus, I mean, and obviously you want to like read into some of what guys are doing, and I love the confidence with Zaire because I think that was his biggest weakness. But I really need to see it. Like, there's not enough of a track record for me to trust anything like this is going to translate because he still can't dribble. Like that's the main thing. He still can't shoot super well from three consistently, or at least we haven't seen it. And what do you need from a, a from a wing on a team with John Morant? where Steven Adams is going to play a huge role. Like, you have non-shooters at the one and the five. It's essential that you have shooting at the three. And so, that to me is like a very big swing between like Kennard to Zaire, because Kennard is a known quantity. You know what you're going to get. Zaire, you get a little bit more than Kennard, yeah. but like, it's totally night to night. You have no idea. I so like, Go ahead. I was just going to also say like, and like when we were, I can't, this wasn't the, the the live pod, but maybe the pod before that we were just sort of like discussing the roster. Uh, you know, theoretically, both of these guys are hopefully the last person, maybe neither of them getting playoff minutes. One of them's probably going to have them. to. I get maybe maybe then, have to. We figured out which one, and it's not like oh, we don't know which one. Yeah, and 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 I don't know. I just I think both of them are also sort of like still theoretical like I think we're with Roddy we're still living off of that one Mavericks game where he went off and it was like maybe he pulls that all together I, I I can't get his summer league performance out of my head they put him in a weird position in summer league but that's what they're at they're asking they're, to play make in in all on the offensive they gave side him the too. ball like he was almost handling the ball most of the time he was like the only guy who had but I mean LaRavia barely played last year like he was the one guy who had actually played and it's almost like they, they did the same thing, in fairness, they did the same thing to Zaire the year before. And he didn't perform well in Summer League either. It was almost like, you're the tenured guy on the team, like, now here, go be the primary creator. And I'm like, that's not really what Roddy's going to do on this team. So, like, agreed. I wouldn't put too much stock into Summer League. But, I mean, like, it is what it is. I was at the games, and he didn't play great. Like, he had turnovers, he was out of rhythm, like, but I also don't think that's the same role he's going to play on this team. I think if you told me he, we didn't need him to play Mac really ever, and he was supporting, he was crashing, he was setting hard picks, he's rolling hard, 
he's doing little things in the offensive end, I'd be much – and then he was like this dog on defense. I'd be much more into that idea versus what I'm seeing them asking him to do on the offensive end is what I'm saying. I think they're asking him to play make some, drive kick, drive finish, and he's just not that guy to me. I think he could be. I think it's just he's such a he's such a weird player – because he's non-traditional. Like he doesn't he's undersized a bit for an NBA 3/4, but he doesn't have the pure shooting ability that you want in a 2 who's going to play next to John Morant. The thing that I keep coming back to is his defensive potential because I really do think he can scale up or down depending on what matchup you need on the defensive end and I think on this team that's valuable and I do think he can hit a 3. Like I want him I want the reports from him that we're getting from Xavier Tillman, which is like he shot 4,000 threes in a day. (laughs) Like, not that, and we can talk about Tillman here soon, too, because I think that's another interesting part of the Grizzlies rotation. Um, But this whole, like, wing situation is going to be, I mean, it's getting a lot of run right now because we know for 25 games, like, one of these three wing players, and you can, if you want to throw Conchar in, you can make it four. But, like, they're going to have to be a primary uh, part of this rotation for the Grizzlies to have real team success. And yet, 25 games in, assuming job doesn't have anything happen between now and then, you're going to have Smart, who's going to start at the three. And then you're going to have a completely new rotation coming in off the bench. And I think it's going to be pretty matchup dependent. Um, if we've seen anything from Jenkins and the way that he structures the lineup. So what do you think about just like in general, the way in which this team is going to be structured? Yeah, I think it's, it's really hard to say right now. And it's also really hard to say, cause you would imagine when Jock comes back, like things are going to change. Um, that's the thing. Like y'all are both, it's kind of interesting hearing y'all both kind of talk about Zaire and Roddy. Because y'all are almost making the same argument for both players, oddly enough. Like, they're kind of both a master of none. It's just they go about it a little differently. Mm-hmm. But they're they're very similar players. And, like, what you want them to be and what you want them to do is kind of the same thing. But they're not, like, again, to your point about, like, what do we need when Ja comes back? Like, we need a perimeter player who you are just – the defense is terrified if they're open – Canard, like you can see defense even in preseason they're freaking out when he's open they're like oh my gosh what are we going to do he shot 55 percent or something like that from three when he joined the Grizzlies last year like every time he let it go like I would have bet my left pinky it was going in like he just made so many shots Zaire's not going to give you that Roddy's not going to give you that (laughs) I didn't I didn't know what was just said but y'all y'all all know anyway Neither one of those players, Zaire or Roddy, are both going to be like a knockdown shooter. They're not going to be like this, you know, running off screens. They're not going to do that. They're like a little bit of like dribble drive, a little bit of kind of come off and play make a little bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So that's why their fit to me is just such a weird thing. It's like mm-hmm. when they're both playing well, they're just kind of doing a little bit of everything. Like they're not doing one thing crazy well. And I think that's an advantage, especially for a bench player, right? And that's why I think it's really interesting when, without Ja, you know, the offense is going to be a little bit more democratic. I think in theory, I think it's going to turn into, like, Bain doing a lot of creation, and I think he's going to be really good at it. 
Um, but I think it's going to be a lot of like you get the ball, you drive and kick, maybe come off a screen. Everyone's just going to be moving like, you know, it's going to be like a almost to me mentally it's like a version of like a quiet chaos. It's still it's just going to be so much movement. Ball's going to be moving. Players are going to be moving. Everyone's going to be cutting. There's stuff about like Steven trying to be like this out of the paint, out of the elbow, like Steven on the wing. Like I think him as a creator, oddly enough, I want to get to that at some point from the like elbow position. Like I think he's a great passer. Steve-O loves finding cutters. I think he has like eyes in the back of his head a lot. I think it's going to value players playing the way Roddy and Zaire do. I think that's going to be beneficial initially. So I think they're going to both be very valuable to start the season. Will, to your point, when Ja comes back, the offense is probably going to change a little bit to like less democratic and more like this, you know, high usage ball dominant guard. Pick and roll from the top because it makes sense, right? Like Ja's phenomenal at that. Like he finds open shots for other players, but like you got to have those other players that can make that open shot. Zaire and Roddy, both of them have struggled to kind of hit like yeah. Roddy shot 30% from three last year. Like that's not great. Um, below average, definitely for a wing in the NBA. Zaire was probably, I think he was worse than that. He was in the twenties. So they're going to have to kind of like figure out what they want to do. The coaching staff is going to have to figure out what they want to do. And it's going to be tough for them as young players, basically changing the way they play, essentially to fit their role on offense, like midseason. Maybe it won't be that way, but to me, it kind of feels like it could be that way. Like they're going to be like, all right, but I've been doing this, but now I got to get, I got to go do this, and it's different. And I got to like, you even heard Gigi Jackson being like, I just got to run into the corners. Like my role is to run into the corners, and I guarantee you, like Zaire and Roddy have like. It's kind of what they've been taught to do initially, but now since Jaws out, like that, the system is changing essentially. Yeah, and I guess right so now I just weird thing. I just trust maybe Roddy a little bit more to be more malleable in that situation where he can be asked to do different things, and I trust that he's going to fill that role a little bit better depending on what you need. But Zaire's, to say that Zaire looked great, like those little like come off a screen with Tillman last game against the Bucks, pump fake like dish it to Tillman really quick on a roll, and Tillman lays it up. Like, Zaire, I think, is a really good passer. He has the idea in his head yeah, yeah. of, like, what sure. to do, whether it's, like, effective or not. But, like, you can see the, the playmaking was great. Yeah, you can game. see that being advantageous. For sure. And I, I guess I just – I get nervous when we cater too much to one player and what they seemingly need in order to be successful. And I get nervous about how much we change for a player that is – maybe going to contribute a little bit more than average to winning, but like not enough to like swing the swing the entire season. So I think that's I think the Roddy Zaire pairing is is one that I find it to be the most interesting part of the season based on the fact that our top four or five are pretty much known quantities at this point. You can even say six if you wanted to throw in Luke in that group. Um, I thought that Derrick Rose looked eerily like Ja playing. Uh, it was creepy how much they played similarly, sty- like stylistically, uh, where, you know, a play breaks down, there's the play clock or shot clock is running down, and they just have to force up some sort of, like, shot that's a floater that somehow goes in. The way that they explode is just interesting, and the way that they come off a pick and play make—I don't know. It's I could see a carbon copy of Jaw 
you know, in 10 years when I see Derrick Rose, which is really, it was really cool, actually, to uh, watch. I think there's a, Will and I talked pre-pod before Brantley got here. I think there's a denominating factor in all of that. You think? I do. I think it's Steven Adams. There you go. That's one thing I want to talk about. I know Brantley loves Steve-O. I know everyone does, essentially. I think his importance to us, people just don't understand, and they just don't get. Because Steven Adams has been one thing his whole career, and we've kind of like flipped that on its head to an extent. Like, yes, he's a bruiser. Yes, he's a rebounder. Yes, he's like a you know big-time screen setter. But like if you just watch that first preseason game with Derrick Rose, what we were talking about, Derrick Rose looked, everyone was like, oh my gosh, like he looks fantastic. He's like hitting this little floater. He's doing all this kind of stuff at the rim. And I'm like, yeah, but look who was like setting screens for him. Look who's rolling for him. It's Steve-O. I think Steven Adams opens up a ton. And I think he's so important for us and he's so good for us. He's exactly what we need. Maybe on what I was talking to Will, maybe other teams he wouldn't be as valuable. Right, maybe like he wouldn't bring as much value to other teams. But I think for us, the way we play, our best offensive players, primarily Ja and Bain and Jaron to an extent, I think he raises them so much in what he does well. And I think the Derrick Rose thing at the beginning of that Indiana game, I think that is Steve-O in a nutshell. You watch Derrick Rose highlights, you don't think of Steven Adams one time. You're like, look at all the stuff Derrick Rose is doing. When you dig into it, you're like, oh, he came off a screen for Steve-O. Where did that space come from? Yes, it's like he creates so much, and I think it's really hard to quantify if you're not used to it. Shout out Steven Adams' stats on Twitter. Like, it's amazing. But I think he's just, I don't know. I think he's crazy important for us, and I think people can't really wrap their heads around it because they just assume that he's one thing, and I think he just means so much more to us. You look at what happened last year when he got hurt. I mean – there's an argument to be made that was the end of the Grizzly season. Like, it yeah. was the end of their title shot when he got hurt. And that can be criticized, but also maybe give credit to the team, to the front office for knowing kind of what this team needed, what they needed to function well. Uh, you know, we don't have – you saw Jaron this summer playing with the USA team where they kept him at the five and he had to be almost a Steven Adams esque player for them. And he just struggled and he didn't, it just, his stats weren't great. And people were blaming a lot on him. Uh, Don't get crap started on this point. Uh, He'll, he'll explain it all a lot better than I am, but you just (laughs) didn't, you didn't see Jaron perform at his peak ability. And it's because he's not meant to be a five He's meant to be a four that can do a whole lot when the bruising is being done by someone else. And it turns out that we have the best bruiser in the league when you look at the 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 stats that really dig into um, how much, you know, how, like screens and how important they are and rebounding. And, you know, when Steven Adams is covering the rim – uh, in terms of rebounding, it gives Jaron the freedom to be the defensive player of the year and have weak side uh, blocks. It gives him the chance to actually go out on the perimeter and during switches. And I just think that that pairing is so essential, and it's it's going to be a vital part of the season that Steven Adams is healthy. And I love that he looks really good. 
in preseason yep. because we can't have any time missed, which is scary. I mean, you could make an argument that that's the fragile part of this team, but also every every team who's who has title aspirations, they've gone in and like gambled with a few of their guys, and it's kind of like, well, if this guy doesn't perform, then you know we're done. And that's sure. true of every team. I mean, yeah, if Jokic totally. gets hurt, what are the Nuggets? You know, not comparing yeah, Stephen I mean, Adams and Jokic, but I'm just saying, like, but every no, player, even if, like, every KCP team has got American hurt. big centers. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, there's a certain impact on players that you don't like. If you just look at the roster, you're not like, man, I, what would they do without him? I'm sure every like, if you were to like, pull every like true fan base that watches their team. I mean, I, this is just an example. I bet the Nuggets are like, man, without KCP, we're just not the same team. As an outsider watching the Nuggets, I really don't think about KCP. I'm not saying that's the guy, but I'm just saying I bet every team has a player like that. They're like, this really makes us go. And I think Steven's that way for us. Or it's like the Nuggets losing Bruce Brown. I'm like, that's yeah. going to be a big deal for them. We're about to find out. Yeah, yeah. and we'll find out this season. We saw Bruce Brown in Memphis on – Sunday, obviously, still acclimating with Indiana. Yeah, didn't didn't, didn't even look know he was out. There. Awesome. Yep. So with them, there you but go. I'm glad he got the bag. Proud That's of true. him. He did. Yeah. All right. What else? Anything else from preseason? It's all obviously only been three games, and like most of our players didn't play in this Hawks game. So, I mean, personally, I think Desmond Bain is primed for just like an unbelievable season. Yep. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see him scoring 24, 25. Uh, on average in a game like I think his playmaking has gotten better he's going to be asked to handle the ball a little bit more but I think he's going to do it in sort of more initiating role rather than like going off pick and roll I just think like he's going to get us into the offense and I love just like any Desmond Bain step back I'm here for it um the flick of the wrist I love too that he's um he's feeling really good after the surgery like that was, it seemed to be something that he was able to play through last year, but you could see the fall off in terms of stats. Um, and I just hope that it's not lingering. Obviously, he, we still have the back concern. I think that's not discussed enough. Like, I don't, you know, nobody really asks him about that. And I would be interested to see kind of what they're, if he, he ever has like flare ups in that area, because I'd be concerned a little bit. But he's got a contract now. He's obviously one of the leaders of this team. I hope he's going to be one of the more vocal leaders where Smart obviously is going to play a big part in that area, but I hope there's a mutual respect, which it seems to be that way already, where Bain is sort of seen as the guy on offense and even maybe in the locker room, and he feels him, um, you know, like he has the tools to do that. So. He looked a little thinner to me. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. He doesn't look as like bolder shoulder as he. Not used just the haircut. To. It was like not just the haircut. It's like you know he's still got awesome arms, but he, his shoulders don't look as like like Jack. I feel in a good way. Like I feel like maybe he slimmed down some, which could be helpful. Some with like on the upper body, like proportion stuff with his back, and I don't know. I I I there are moments in that Milwaukee game where I was like, man, he's creating some plays and I wish instead of driving he'd look for a step back jumper versus like looking to drive. And I I I'm I'm hoping that maybe he'll kind of learn that rhythm a little bit more um you know when the re- regular season starts cuz it's really hard for him to finish, I think in a crowd. And but his step back jumper, you know, in the mid-range is 
It almost feels better to me than him trying to take it to the hoop. Yeah, it's butter. All right, um, let's get into our media section here. We had the top part two and three and four of the pod. Top hundred come out from ESPN. John Morant's at number thirty-five. Makes so much sense. Out of a hundred, okay, I have sort of a take to start here. Right, Um, I am not offended by any Grizzlies disrespect or seeming disrespect right now from the media. And here's why. If you're going in as a national analyst and you're looking at contenders and a specific team, let's say uh, the Lakers were going to be without Anthony Davis for the first 25 games of the season. Like, I'm not really, like, all of a sudden that allows me to not have to put LA in a specific category that I'm putting other teams that are full strength to start the season. And I just think from a national media brain standpoint, like we're not taking the, um, the part of um, maybe that this is a job for a lot of these people. And we're not taking into account the way in which that they're sort of filtering through their team teams that they're trying to put into a certain order. So, like, to me, it almost made the Grizzlies and John Morant specifically have made the job a little bit easier for these national media people to not have to even think about us. And they have a great excuse not to have to think about us. And I sort of have approached this offseason in terms of the way in which all these preseason like rankings and predictions and things have come out where I'm kind of like, honestly, the more hate, the better. And I feel like us, we've been on the same page. Sure. We've been on the same page with that. It's kind of like better that way. Anyway. Um, I don't want us to get a lot of shine. I don't want us to be next up. If you will. I think that only serves to inflate expectations to a point that aren't exactly fair or earned and I also am a firm believer in playoff scars and I think that that's the best way to grow and there's a lot of teams that are being hyped right now that have zero scars on their resume thus far and that makes me skeptical and I'm honestly happy when I see teams and players that haven't done squat getting thrust up into uh, a level that I don't think that they have earned and and thus have um, maybe unfair expectations. Um, so anyway, I think that was a ramble, but all I'm saying is I'm not offended by the Grizzlies being disrespected, and yet I feel super confident in this team, specifically in the regular season, to perform at a certain level because we've seen them do it even without John Morant, and I'm I'm just like going to be kind of sitting back with my arms crossed and smiling as the season goes along like does this like the ranking does it mean anything like obviously no it doesn't Rudy Gobert was the 19th best ranked NBA player per ESPN last year and you should see everybody that was after him have you thought about Rudy Gobert this offseason as a top 20 player at all no did you after the game one when he played for the Timberwolves no No. these rankings are meaningless what a mistake the Wolves made they are meaningless they are content exactly that was another it's it's content it's like how can you create um you know buzz 
views, clicks, all that kind of stuff. Like, that's why they do it. Like, that's why they do the GM survey. That's why they do the player rankings. It's for an engagement. Engagement. And I, I get it. Like, that's fine. But to your earlier point about the jaw thing, like, if he was, like, coming into the season just, like, slightly injured, like, recovering from an injury, I bet he wouldn't have dropped 26 points or whatever he did, right? It's solely because of the off-court stuff. It's solely because of the narrative around Ja. Like, that's the only reason he dropped. It's not because play on the, on the floor, obviously. Um, anything he does on the court. It's solely because of, like, again, the cloud around him. And, like, again, if he had, like, meniscus repair surgery and he was going to miss 20 games, I guarantee you he would have been number 35. He would have been, you know, if everything went smoothly for Ja last year, he would have been ranked a lot higher. But, again, it doesn't matter. Um... It's all irrelevant. If we've learned anything, it's that national media, people that do this for a living, literally know nothing. Um, they, you know, get predictions wrong literally all the time. So if you're going to put your stock in them, then you're, you know, putting your stock in the wrong in the wrong thing. But kind of to your point, like I'm all for it. The fact that Bain was ranked in the 60s is comical. Um, but anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm all about the chip on the shoulder. I want us coming into this season, no one – talking about us at all there was one guy on twitter i don't remember who he was but he he missed he picked us to like miss the play in and like missed all of it um that's perfect i love i love being there i mean i think what's interesting when you look at these rankings so with jot 35 I, I don't get a lot of energy from these things either except for i just like i hope that our team sees them and this is motivating but I, I do sort of tend to agree with where the ranking is. There are certain players that I would move up or down, but like 34 is Kyrie. Kyrie's a lot more talented than the 34th player. You know, you could argue age. But his who he is puts him in that ranking. Ja, right now, his unknowns, it's kind of like fantasy football rankings, which, you know, maybe a lot of us listeners, I know all of us in the room play. You have to take into account certain – random stuff whether it's injuries or off-court stuff when you think about those types of things and I feel like with Ja right now there still are unknowns now I think some of it seems to me it feels like what we're seeing the way that he's behaving right now is he's getting really closed off he's kind of just focusing keeping to himself and that's to me what one should be doing in his position Another meditation emoji. Staying, staying quiet, n- maybe doing some stuff here and there, never responding to anything, whatever. Uh, Trip is, you know, 31 on this list, by the way. We haven't mentioned him. Um, and, like, they have Michael Bridges at 33. Like, this list is sort of, you know, whatever. It's a list. Uh, but to me like this kind it's not about the this like the player list to me as much as like I do I do have energy around just all of a sudden how the Grizzlies are going to go from based on what's happened in the Western Conference how we're going to go from being the 2 seed to just like not like to falling to and 10. just to just dropping off without some sort of cataclysmic thing happening which like trip gets injured bang gets injured yeah that's gonna happen but we're just we're 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 too known right now in the regular season just assume that we're just gonna just drop out now i i do feel like some teams got better 
uh, that we will have fun arguing next week in our over-unders pod. But I don't think that that's going to be so substantial to where all of a sudden the Grizzlies are fight are fighting to be in the play-in. Again, assuming no big injuries. And so I think that's the kind of narrative, this the wish-casting side of things that is just sort of hilarious. Like the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, like, SGA is great, but, like, there is no way that Chet, Shet Holmgren is going to all of a sudden come in and be like this Triple J type player and make them be like take over us and be like the number two seed in the Western Conference or the number three seed. It's just not even possible. And that's the type of buzz that's happening with them that does make me angry and happy. Like I want this fr- – the, the, what if there's anything about the Memphis Grizzlies brand – is that we are no one expects anything from us. We're under the radar and we grind for everything we get. And that's what I'm here for with this season and I hope it continues, you know. It's like we're back to the grind. Like that's like kind of the Grizzlies theme this year. You're seeing it everywhere. It's like yeah, that actually is fitting for yep. this team and for that. what we should be doing. Like Let's let's just work and outwork everybody, and that's what the that's what the theme of Jaws' rookie season was, where we sort of surpassed expectations, and maybe a little bit of season two before we ballooned in our heads a little bit, and hopefully we're learning from it, and now it's like, hey, we can outwork people, and we're we're better than them, yeah, because that's what I think. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think I don't think it's you know. You can't downplay the offseason acquisitions. Again, removing Dylan from the equation and bringing in a player like Marcus Smart, who literally that's his DNA. Like, the dude is such a fighter. Every possession, every loose ball. Like, he literally lays it all out on the line. And he does it in such just like a – I don't know. I know he flops a lot. But it's such just like an endearing, like, respectful way. But does he flop others? Oh, apparently not a, not as much as previous uh, once Grizzly. Um, but even like the Derrick Rose thing, you just have like personalities you have. And you have like the growing up of Bane and Ja and Jaren and Jenkins. Like you have all these guys that have now like they've been forced to look in the mirror and see that potentially they are inadequate not only in play and system and scheme and all that kind of stuff but maybe in like you know resolve and how they face adversity and what do they do when their backs are against the wall like I'll never forget at the last year after game five they kept kind of asking like Jenkins stuff and apparently someone said like something in the locker room Jenkins was basically just like pleading like can we please show up on the road just once can we play well on the road? Basically, can we play well in adversity and against hostility? Like, can we do that? And we got murdered in game six. Like, there's – honestly, is the perfect way to end our season, I think. Not, like, you know, at the time. But I think looking back, I think it's going to look back and be like, that That was probably the best thing for us moving forward. Um, it just forced us to basically, like, reevaluate and to be such a young team already in that position – and you are basically letting your players and your roster grow in that 
which today's NBA, like if something like that happens, you just make a trade or you fire your coach, right? Like it's some like big systematic change that happens. But we've put ourselves in the position to be like, hey, you guys, we're the reason this happened and we're going to be the reason that it changes. Like we're not going to like bail out. We're not going to go like, you know, do something dramatic. I mean – I think the Dylan for Marcus Smart, I guess you could, I mean, you could kind of say that's like trading one for the other, essentially, right? That's not the way it happened, but kind of think about it that way. I don't really view it as that. I almost view it as like we need to grow up and we need accountability and we need an adult in a room and we need to like be serious. And this is our like, this is our first season of us being serious, in my opinion. That's a great way to put it. And um, I, I would say too that I think not to get, not to read too much into what the psyche of the team is right now, but I but felt I like... I think that matters so much it, with it this is. team. Agreed. And I'm saying that last year, I felt as if what we learned was as quickly as it can be given to you, it can be taken away in a heartbeat. And I feel like the the way in which we recovered... I mean, it was so fun. Like ESPN came here for a full day. They had like this that whole thing with the Brooklyn game when the we here quote and then all of a sudden we're just like showing up on you know they keep replaying the the Lakers game where we kind of punk them and then you had the jaw find in the west like all that stuff got built up and it's kind of like what happens to a young team when they're thrust into the limelight and then we saw with a couple of just dumb decisions by jaw it's all taken away and then you have a flame out in the playoffs and you have a just like embarrassment of a postseason and this team realizes that's not what it's about. Like, if we work, if we actually do what got us here in the first place instead of, like, you know, holding on to what we want, which is, or what we thought we want, which was public recognition and accolades and, you know, national TV, if you hold on to all that stuff, like, it's not going to get you to where your ultimate goal is. And instead, you got to just scale it back, like back to basics. That's what I think this year is to me, is like back to basics. Like what made you great in the first place? It's the mentality of going into every single game like it's your last. Yep. It's the the way in which our players fit each other. It's the uh, just the joy in, that we play with. It's the hustle. It's the work. It's the competitiveness. It's all those things. It's kind of like... Whatever comes after that, you can't control, but you can control what you put into it. And I, I agree with you. It's instead of like you took out the, the the talk without the walk, and now you have the walk, and it's like that's what it's about. And so that's what I'm excited about this season. It's just back to basics. Yeah. The other the other like real talk hard thing is that, you know, last year even like coming into like how we were predicting the season going, you know, this before the season started, there hadn't been a shoe yet. We had this Christmas game that we were anticipating. We had sort of this trajectory of like from a fandom perspective where we're for the first time, this franchise like, this is what it's like to have a superstar. Right. And so now what we're seeing is how, to your point on being removed, how they're, and you talked about this, Will, 
you know, two years ago, how there is going to become a, there's coming a, a story shift at some point in time with Ja. Phase like two. all superstars do where it's like, what is like, what's the next step for him to be the superstar? Like he's got a different expectation with him. And so for Ja right now, it's, it hasn't even been about ball. It's been about how can you carry yourself off the court to continue earning that superstardom and the things that come with it, which for the franchise includes, you know, a recognition of potential that can continue to excel. And so there is a piece of me that like, I, I am all in on like, I love the, like we're low key now. Cause I think that's the right thing for us right now. I also hope <clears throat> that jaw in particular, that we, that he under this is, you know, that he understands that, he's got to get back to the basics and turn tune some things out because eventually that stuff's going to have to come back. If we're going to do what we want to do, he's got to be able to handle that recognition. And so does the team or we're really, or we just get lucky one season and no one talks about us and we win and then we're done. But I don't really think that that's our trajectory. I think it's more likely that this year we sort of earn back some notoriety in a silent type way by playing well when the season afterwards we're like we're more ready for it from a maturity perspective including maybe our superstar and then it doesn't take away from the hard work that has to happen to continue excelling and so this is still to me like i'm not saying i'm writing off the season and the chance of like what we could achieve but it still feels like a bridge season to me in terms of the mentality that our core has got to learn together we're learning what it what it looks like to be highly competitive, you know, uh, you know, superstar plus type folk. And then what does that get to us this year? And then the next year when we start to really learn that what that expectation is, how do we continue to build on that and, and lean into it when other factors are playing into the locker room, into the team play? For sure. And you look at it even from a contract standpoint, we have three years. Like this is – this is a phase of the, this Grizzlies team. And Brian Windhorst has coined the term fun max. Like, Bain, Ja, and Jaren are on the fun max right now in terms of their contracts. After this round, it becomes, you know, you're at the, you're at the 40, 50, 60 million dollar range where it's kind of like you choose who you want and you can't afford it all, especially in the small market. And so these these three years, I think I, I almost see this as sort of year one of the, the post-Dylan Tyus Grizzlies. Like this is the core three, see what can happen. Um, Jaws not a known quantity at this point. We There's a level of unknown with him, but if we can somehow get through the season without anything and have, let's say, a second round appearance in the playoffs and be competitive like that to me, but, but showing the workings of a team that has it together and like knows what they are and you have to beat them. You know, they, they're not going to lay down like that's my hope for the season. Obviously more, I think we're capable of more if things go right, 
we still have some team building stuff. Like we were arguing about Zaire and Roddy. Like, unfortunately, that's just part of it. Like, that's we're, we're, we don't have it all figured out. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a super different season. I think from all aspects, and I I'm I'm encouraged. I'm excited. Um, like I think Ja. Hopefully, I I have hope still for him. Like. I think it's going to be a um, it's been a sobering off season, and it seems as though he's got the right mindset. We have no idea, but I don't know. What do you think, Ty, for the season? Like overall, what's your vibe right now with it? I like it. Um, I love the vibe. Is that it's yeah? It's just like we're so. It feels like we're really connected. And there's some new pieces involved, but I feel like they're only additive in that, like, we are kind of changing. We are, like, taking the next step. Um, Again, we're serious. That's kind of the thing I'm, like, keep coming back to. It's like I feel like this is now a serious team. Um, The Joth, you know, the Joth stuff, I just think we quickly forget how good he is. And me included. Like, I watched his, like, I know this means nothing, but I watched his highlight reel from this past season like y'all should just take 10 minutes and go watch this thing it'll blow your mind like he is so good and not only is he so good but he is so good when we just absolutely have to have him like the dude's clutch and he's here for it like he wants the ball he like I don't know I just can't get over that as such a young player like how fearless he is in moments like that and we all talk about how, like, you got to have the guy. you got to have the guy. And my hope is that all of this going on has just, like, continues to mold Jaw into his final product. He just turned 24, like, a couple months ago. He's still crazy young. He hasn't hit his peak yet, theoretically, you would think. Um, Six years younger than Shaq Harrison. <laughs> yeah, the oldest player on our team, which is wild. <laughs> Um, but yeah, just like everything involved in that. I mean, it, it all, Jaws the guy, like it, it, he, he's the guy. If we're kind of what Brantley was saying, like if he's, he has to be everything we need him to be for us to be the team that we ultimately can be. And I think that it's not a crazy thing, but everyone knows that including him. So I think it's all about like him just getting right, him figuring things out, him coming back with just, just like burn the place to the ground mentality, which I think that's how Jaw is wired anyway. So I think it kind of plays into that a little bit, like in a good way. I think he's like, I cannot wait to play against all 34 players ranked ahead of me. Like, I bet he's just like, oh my gosh, I can't play. Can't wait to play against Shet to see how this goes. And, and my thing is like, I really feel like, I don't know. This is me just like pure speculation, but if I'm the team, like honestly, like last year, the things that he was going through, it's not like his performance was really that impacted. I mean, yeah, he was that's the crazy still part. awesome. Yeah. Okay. He was still awesome. So the team blood alcohol content during a game was probably higher than right. most players. So the trust factor, Ever. that's an unsourced unsourced yeah. comment. Yeah, yeah. That's just speculation. Just speculation. <laughs> <laughs> we are not sourced here on the Grizzly Pod. Yeah, so 04, I'm just oh four oh four. We're just we're just assuming, 
but but like for real, like the trust this this is like a trust season. I feel like on the jaw thing with the team, where it's like it's just as much as much about how he's gonna. It, it, it's all about how he's gonna behave on the road. Like what is he doing? And he's allowed to travel with the team too, which is how so is he allowed to travel? What's he gonna do? How is that? factor play into oh he you know he's what he's saying publicly is the way we're seeing him in hotel rooms or whatever it is he's doing we're going to team dinners doing things on the road that really matter Uh, who knows i don't know and and i think that like i don't think we're ever gonna like really hear information about that but to me I'm really not like when he comes back game, you know, the 25th game home game against Indiana, hopefully cross my fingers. Cause I have tickets to that game. Like the, he is going to ball. I'm not worried about that. I really am not. He's going to be awesome. But for us to be elite, do, do trip and Bane trust him? Does smart, like trust him? Does Steve-O trust him to where? Yeah. Now we know that, the on off and matches together. And that's where true elite teams really start to win. And it may take an entire season for them to trust him. Trust is really hard. And especially with a young, with a young guy and he's going to mess up. So when he messes up, is it just like, dude, we got you. Don't worry about it. Or is it cataclysmic again? Yeah. The leverage piece too, with the team now not feeling as if they need to acquiesce to every single thing for him, I think is huge. Like it brings an equal playing field into it. You're right. Like trust is the main thing with this team. Are they going to get 25 games in and say, we kind of have a good thing going, um, Ja. So now you kind of have to fit in with this culture that we built. And what does that look like? And I agree. Like, the highlights are insane. We forget all the time how amazing he is. And, um, like, the Grizzlies are much better with him than without him. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a fascinating – What it, could you imagine one year ago us oh sitting down and, like, having no idea what was to come with this season? Like, I bet purely, Kraft has nightmares every night. <laughs> No man, he's like he's like we're fine. We could still win without Jaw. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But even to that point, like Bane talked about Jaw a little bit in media day, and Bane literally said Jaw is one of his favorite teammates he's ever had. Yeah. So I think to that point, like the trust thing is a really interesting point because I think you're right. Like trust goes beyond like on the floor. It's like it goes deeper than that, and. It's it would be hard not to lose a little bit of trust in that after like you know the things that happened last year, but I do think the support system around him. I love the fact that he can travel. I love the fact he can be with the team. He can practice. He can do everything. Like he's with them now, right? Like he's he's with the team. Um, and I hope like you've heard nothing from that. The only thing you've gotten is like a couple little pictures of him and videos of him like shooting free throws like you don't hear anything i love that i think that's a that's an awesome sign is that you don't know anything going on in the building because it's all in the building um i don't know and i just i feel like teammates like they still really again this i don't know much but it seems like they still really like ja and want him there and want the best from him. Like you even heard the Jaron interview with Paul George this summer, right? About how Jaron's like, that's my dog for life. Like 
I'm with him forever till the end. And that's just like the you hear that reiterated all the time by players. Um, and I think that's really encouraging. Yeah. Just to close the loop, maybe close out the pod, like media stuff and what we see, what what's getting talked about, what's released in terms of rankings. If you look at who writes them, like they include producers as a line, like there's not like all of this stuff is there's like this level of you're going to see on TV at some point this year someone say, man, Bane is so underrated. Like, yeah. I cannot believe how underrated Bane was. Well, guess what? Your company was the one that put him at 61 in the first place. You're operating, you're setting a premise that you can then react to later. Like, we're, we're forgetting that the actual basketball on the floor and the coverage of the basketball are completely two separate things and it would be healthy for all of us to remember that (laughs) throughout the season and why things are the way that they are in that respect and you know it's fun for us to talk about it gives us stuff like it gives us stuff to react to and um, that's why they make it but overall I think we are all here at least on the same page in the sense that this season is sort of a reset in a lot of ways and it's kind of like okay who's this team um, they're they're past their rookie contracts, and now it's kind of like who do we fit around this core that has already proven they can win, um, at least in the 82 game context. And now the next step is towards the playoffs, which I think you've seen Zach Kleiman, you've seen Taylor Jenkins, you've seen everybody sort of geared towards that. And so, um, with that said, you know we have like I said our our preseason podcasts coming out next week and we're two weeks less than two weeks away from the start which is nuts um so stay with us we got a lot of stuff coming at you um this season we're pumped about it for brantley for ty for craft whose thoughts we didn't get to but i am positive he is going to uh let us know all about them next week uh so you will not have any lack of opinions there you can do a solo pod for like three hours that's right we could just like Press record, let it go. Um, So for Kraft, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us.